Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and joining me today is... Jeff Kanata. Jeff Kanata, welcome back to the world of the living. How are you doing? Oh, I, I, I don't think you should overstate it, Dave. Uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure that we can, <laughs> we can classify me as back into the world of the living. Um, I don't know if listeners will hear or the Or should I say voice. Father Jeff Kanata? Oh, yes. Well, Congratulations, I'm Jeff. Thank you, thank you. I'm happy to be here, but I don't, I don't know if listeners will hear the tired in my voice. But I, I may I may be even less coherent than usual, Dave, if that's possible. I don't think that is possible. So you have just welcomed a new life into this world. Who? Uh, what is his name? His name is Jack, little Jack. My son, uh, Jack Kanata, was born on September 5th on Labor Day, um, making the... The first dad joke of his of his long storied career going into labor on Labor Day, uh, uh, and uh, yes, it's been uh, it's been an adventure. So he's what what is he six days old right now today as wow. we as we're talking. And why did you choose to go with the name Jack instead of Kylo? What was the decision there? Um, that has a lot to do with with the wife not allowing <laughs> Kylo to be the name. Um, and and but, Jack is named after uh, Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan. Okay. Jack Ryan. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the Chris Pine went, version of Jack yes. Ryan. <laughs> um, the uh, we went with the um, the the Shining. We went with a character from the Shining. Um, no, it's uh, my father's name is Jack, and her father's name is Michael. So his name is Jack Michael Kanata. So we we honored the two grandfathers. Gotcha. It's a strong name. Uh, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. He so. looks like a little Jack. He's uh, he's he's uh, we he rips major farts like adult sized farts. So we call him Jack the Ripper. Uh, <laughs> nice. And uh, he also, for some reason, likes to wink at you. So we call him One Eyed Jack sometimes. Nice. You no, know, it's working out. It's working. Nice. Out. Nice. Uh, and so, how how much sleep have you been getting, Jeff Canada? Uh well. Not a lot, but but more than my wife. So I can't complain. She has she's bearing the brunt of the of the workload. Yes. Uh, well, Jeff goes off to watch mediocre Clint Eastwood films I in know. the theater and record the slash filmcast. Jeff's wife is uh, doing the child rearing, so yeah. uh, she's a keeper. Jeff, I found yes, I found out um, the the way everyone says you know oh, once your child is born you can't watch movies anymore. And I was like, well, there's there's one way you can. And that's when you have a podcast and you can say, hey, honey, sorry, I got to let – and then your car pulls out and you go, go to the movies. <laughs> well, we're so glad you're joining us today. Uh, and Devendra's not here today. That's because he had a kid this – no, I'm just joking. He did not. Uh, but he uh, just decided to peace out of this episode because I think he had a pretty long week. Uh, and I completely understand. So he uh, he was covering a lot of stuff for Engadget. Going a few a few tech announcements went on this week at Engadget.com. dot com, mm-hmm. uh, and so he is taking a breather, and uh, that's something that we like to do uh, time and again. Although that's not something I ever do in general. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we miss him this week, and so now we're. I feel like you know we're gonna have a reunion next week for our uh, review of Blair Witch. So I'm looking forward. Yeah, it'll to be that. nice. Or either that, or Devinder and I'll have to do. Show that's right. That I think that's the final permutation, yeah. uh, and then we're just going to do episodes like solo. You know, have you ever listened to like <laughs> a solo podcast, like one person before? No, it's funny that the, you know that happens a lot on the radio, like the radio shows, even you know yeah. old time like radio talk shows, shows and stuff. Yeah, they'll just be one dude talking, and you don't really hear podcasts that that do that very often. Yeah, I, I've I've heard some, and I've always admired the craft because it does take a lot more skill to 
sustain a podcast by yourself than uh, with another person. But yeah, yeah I, I, I do prefer the banter. Banter, Jeff Kanata. Banter, you need banter. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Dave, um, I totally get Interstellar now. <laughs> so first time or new listeners may not know that uh, a long time ago, a, a listener wrote in and said that I could not – I, David Chen, could not understand Interstellar because I did not have a kid, uh, which – And we all mocked him and then <laughs> – and then I had a kid, and now I get it, Dave. <laughs> now, to be fair, I don't. I think that you know, having a kid may let you appreciate some things about Interstellar more. Uh, but I think that the idea that uh, you could not understand the central theme of Interstellar without having a kid, I, I feel like, is ludicrous. It sounded like you guys agreed with me, but uh, you, you know, per our pre-you having a child discussions, Jeff. Do you now look at the film world differently now that you have a kid? Like, is, is, how is your worldview different now that you have a kid? Well, I don't know if my worldview has changed per se. I will tell you, you know, here I am six days into having a child, so it's still pretty fresh. Uh, so I imagine, you know, I will continue reporting <laughs> on yes. this issue. But uh, I will tell you this. Um, I feel like I am have been scrubbed raw emotionally. <laughs> you know, I am very everything is really close to the surface right now and uh it was, you know, the whole birth process was very an um, emotional experience and just seeing that little life in your arms every night and day is uh it it really it it does affect me. Uh, and it did affect my viewing of everything since. I see. So, so you were a you were a weeping mess at the end of Sully. Then I was. I um, really was. All right. Well, we'll talk about that soon. Anyway, enough about Jeff's kid. What are we going to do here on the Slash Filmcast today? We are going to be discussing your movie dilemmas in our weekly segment, the Slash Film Court. We're going to be moving on into what we've been watching and then just diving into our review this week of Clint Eastwood's Sully. Find more episodes of our podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can always email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Uh, that's where you can send your Slash Film Court movie dilemmas as well. So, Jeff Kanata, you missed a humdinger of a Slash Film Court last week. Uh, I've been forwarding you some of the response to it. I think it's not an exaggeration to say dozens of outraged emails in Uh-oh. response to our Slash Film Court last week. Well, that's because I wasn't there, Dave. I, didn't, but, I, didn't, I wasn't able to temper your... Your responses. Last week, uh, someone emailed in saying that they went to a Fathom event. You know what that is? Like, uh, at, it's like a live event at the movie theater mm-hmm. uh, where you pay a little extra and it's kind of a, a special uh, screening of something. They went to see The NeverEnding Story with their fiancé and uh, there was a whole row of kids that was basically being like demonic monsters. Really annoying, really loud, very irritating. And uh, they just left. And so the question was, you know, should they have left? Should they have confronted the parents about it? Devendra and I, uh, I, I thought, somewhat cautiously, dismissed this person's concerns as like, hey, if you're going to go see a children's movie like The NeverEnding Story, you need to expect that there will be children in the theater. Now, we were ripped into Devendra and I with great vengeance by our the Slash Film Castle listeners, mm-hmm. uh, many of whom emailed in, and I'll just I'll just read one of. Uh, you know, several dozen emails that we got about this. This one comes in from David in New York City. Um, 
Love your show, especially the new slash film court segment. However, I believe you are way off base on your never-ending story decision. First, you seem to implicitly be saying that this is acceptable kids' behavior because there are other kids in the theater. I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, so I've been to my share of kids' movies. When kids are disruptive, it ruins it mainly for other kids. Most kids can sit still for the duration of the movie. If the parents can't control their kids, they should not be in the theater, whether or not it is for kids. Secondly, you have no right to complain about inappropriate behavior in your movies if you excuse this behavior. Where do you think people learn how to behave? If kids are given this freedom at an early age, they will never learn what is appropriate. I realize that it's tough to be a parent. The right decision here was to support your emailer and slam the poor parents. If your kids aren't behaving in the theater, you need to take them out. I rest my case. Take them out. Take them out. The professional style. Papool writes in. Uh, Papool from Texas uh, writes in also in defense because uh, basically we said you, you and I have seen we, you know we went to see Zootopia together Jeff Kanata mm-hmm. in the theater and there were some, there were some kids and they, they they were being a little rowdy and that was okay with us um, but Papool writes in that the distinction here is that it is a fathom event so Papool is writing in here as noted it was a fathom event uh, but that's not the end of the story. It never See, ends. Because it doesn't end, yeah. The never-ending story came out in 1984. I am 37 years old, and I don't even remember the theatrical release. I only remember the constant reruns on HBO as a kid. This guy mentioned a fiancé. Let's assume he's in his 20s. That means he wasn't even alive for the theatrical release. Although the, although the movie is on video, there is nothing like seeing a beloved film on the big screen, especially if you've never uh, even had a chance to see it in theaters. That's the whole point of having a Fathom event, so people can see a beloved film that they couldn't otherwise see on the big screen. They have this one chance to see it, and these kids and their parents by omission of action completely ruin it. Yes, this couple can get a refund, but it's not like a regular movie with multiple shows for multiple weeks. They can't just get a refund for the 7 p.m. show and go to the 9 p.m. show. It's likely only one show on one day. They always advertise Fathom events as one night only. That was their chance, and it was completely ruined by other patrons. This is likely one of the only chances for this couple to ever see this beloved film on the big screen, and you completely fail... To consider this point, mm. um, so I will admit, Dave, it, it is a little bit like you and Devendra just walked out into quicksand and just let yourself sink, and you didn't even try to get out of it. Hmm. Yeah, our uh, tax style. I think that's uh, probably right. So uh, I wanted to, at the very least, acknowledge uh, these appeals to the slash film court uh, regarding children in the theater, and a, a lot of people basically saying, "Hey." Uh, you know, being very proud parents and saying, hey, I control my children when yeah. I go into the theater, and we should expect other people to control uh, their children as well. And I, I guess my answer to that is I agree we should expect that. But I am so cynical about you know today's parenting culture that I feel like people are just like, hey, anything goes. Don't criticize my parenting because uh, that's something people apparently get really personal about and – you just got to be willing to absorb some awful behavior when you go to the theater. And that, that's kind of what led to our decision. It's not that I don't think people should behave in a good way. It's not that I am not going to educate my child to behave in this way. Right. It's that I don't know that we can reasonably expect other people to expect their children to behave this way. Now, Jeff, it's a soft bigotry of low expectations. That's Dave. right. That's exactly right. So, Jeff, I mean, what would you do in, in that situation? Man, I I fear that I would not say anything either. Uh, but I also don't think that makes it okay. Um, I there was a time I remember being a kid going to the movies and it being not acceptable to talk. I think honestly the the rise of 
of home theaters has completely changed the way kids watch movies because they talk all the way through it. They ask mom and dad questions. They're, you know, getting up and walking around. They're going to get something to eat. It's all at home and that's all fine. But there doesn't seem to be any more distinction between how you watch a movie at home and how you watch a movie in a theater. Kids just think, oh, it's the same experience. I can still talk and ask questions. And parents don't seem to make that delineation. And yeah, I don't you, this think- is behavior you've observed, right? Like you're, you're basing right. this on behavior you've, you've observed from your friend's children and going to the movie theater yourself and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, when you go to the movie theater and there's kids there, it, it, it tends to be the case that it seems to me that they're behaving in a way – that they would behave if the parent put on a DVD at home, you know, and that didn't, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm looking back with rose colored glasses or whatever, but I, I don't remember that being the case when I was a kid. I never thought, I never conceptualized it that way. Like I never thought it was okay to talk in a theater ever. And I just think we've evolved a little, or it's the wrong word. We, things have changed a little bit in the way that pe- people approach movie watching with kids and I not for the better. I think it's unfortunate that, as you say, parents don't seem to care. Uh, and there seems to be this weird expectation that, hey, if there's kids here, we're just going to have to put up with their their chatter. And I think parents can expect more from kids and even, you know, fellow movie watchers who don't have kids can expect more from kids. I think we should. I don't think that that should, that should just be like, well, I wanted to go see a Pixar movie, so I guess I get I get what I get because Pixar aimed us at kids and <laughs> I'm an adult that wants to see it, but, you know, screw me. Um that being said, there are plenty of movie theaters here in LA. I don't probably atypical, but uh there are plenty of movie theaters with with 21 and over showings of movies. Um, and 18 and over showings of movies, even like kids movies. Um, so I'm, I'm pleased to see that is the case that you have options. Of course, this particular thing, as was pointed out by the emailer was more of a special situation that you couldn't repeat or you couldn't just go to another showing. So it, I'm much more on the emailer side of like this. I don't think I would get up and leave, but I do feel like there is a reasonable expectation to be made that you should be able to go to a movie even aimed at kids and not have your viewing experience disrupted. I think that's probably right. And we encourage the person to get a refund. You know what I mean? Uh, That might not be good enough. But I I guess also our advice was weighed by the fact that if you ever try to tell a parent how to raise their children or, you know, give them advice, even if it's gently – they typically take it poorly. I mean, yeah. I feel like you would take it poorly, right, Jeff? Like if someone was like, hey, keep your kids under control, Jeff Kanata, in a theater. Like you, you probably Yeah, well, I don't know if that's well. the way to, to do it. I would, I would, I would <laughs> well, that's how that. I would do it, Jeff. That's all that matters. <laughs> I, it is a weird thing. And I will say, you know, as someone who just has had a kid, it's funny how often people say to you, Hey man, you're going to get a lot of advice from people, but it's your kid. Raise them how you want. Remember, it's your family. You do it, you know. You, and I and I, I always go, well, yeah, I guess, but shouldn't we all, as a community, sort of and a culture, contribute to what we think is the right and wrong ways to do things? Like you can't just have carte blanche because you created a life. You know what I mean? It's like I don't know. It feels a little odd that advice of like you got to do. What you want and raise your kid how you want. It's like, well, yeah, but there are definitely things that you shouldn't do in my opinion. And we should all be able to agree on that and go, hey, 
you can't just parent any way you want. Right. You know? Uh, yeah. I think you're right about that. But I also think that predominantly that's what people have been led to believe, right? That It, it that does they, seem to be the they, case. They take it very personally. And yeah. so part of our advice, I think, was not wanting the original emailer to get entangled into some kind of fight that they could not win with a But I think parent, that that's – I don't think that that's – I think that's a very recent phenomenon, Dave. I, I remember growing up, my parents were way more concerned with strangers than they were with me. Like uh, my needs came beneath strangers' needs. Like if I was disrupting a stranger, my parents would move heaven and earth to get me out of that situation because they didn't want – to mess up the stranger's life. Right. And I think I don't I think we as a culture have progressed to a oh fuck strangers. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. This is me. And I think that's really worrisome and problematic and has led to Trump. Uh, all right. Well, quite a stretch there, but uh, I think that's right. And you see this in schools too. You know, yeah. With it used teachers. to be with teachers. It used to be like a teacher tells a parent, "Hey, uh, your kid's misbehaving," and the parent disciplines the kid. Now the parent disciplines the teacher. You right. Know? And that is very unfortunate. It's very, very problematic. So I guess then we should revi- we should revise our advice to say, "Rage, rage against the dying of the light," and that is to say, <laughs> the dying of civility. And yeah. consideration of other people's feelings, uh, rage against it. That is all. New slash film court email. This one comes in from Scott from Texas. Scott writes in uh, that uh, recent slash film court uh, issue discussed kids at a movie theater and how a particular patron should handle their disruptive behavior. This reminded me of my own issue on the other side of the matter, which needs adjudication. There is a local theater that only shows indie or limited release films. They have one day set aside as a crybaby matinee, quote unquote, for a movie that would not be considered a kid's movie. In front of the That's screening room... they show the, the, uh, <laughs> the Waters film, Crybaby. Yes. Uh, in front of the screening room, there is a rather detailed sign explaining what this means. You should expect crying babies. My wife and I have gone to these on a few occasions, and without fail, we are the only parents in the theater who have brought our baby along. The rest of the theater is usually made up of retired couples who are drinking wine and (laughs) rolling their eyes at us. Now, my wife is easily embarrassed, so her instinct is to leave the screening room as soon as the baby starts making any noise. While I feel emboldened by the fully stocked diaper changing table they have placed conveniently in front of the screen. (laughs) Obviously, social norms would suggest that we try to calm our baby down outside of the screening room. But when the theater explicitly puts up a sign requesting that we ignore that social norm, I am ready to commit to that vision. I recognize that if one or two parents uh, more adopt the position, we'll create a scenario where literally no one will enjoy the movie, but that's a risk I am willing to take. (laughs) This is an issue Jeff may be facing rather soon, but I'm curious what each of you think. Would you follow the expectations of the majority of the screening room or stick to the intention of the theater for that screening? Uh, also, I'm curious what other social norms you think can or cannot be canceled by sign in front of a screening room. <laughs> that email comes in from Scott, uh, who writes in from Texas. And again, you can always write into the slash film court at slash filmcast at gmail.com. So, crybaby screenings. And we've seen these at movie theaters, right, Jeff? Uh, yes. I, this was a new thing that I realized existed. I, did, I wasn't aware of this too much before. But, yeah, there's like mommy and me screenings where – it's all about, you know, just bring, you know, moms, bring your kids to first run films and uh, sit in the chaos of, of infant crying. Yes. Um, I just, yes. 
Yes. I'm, <laughs> it's cool. And I think that's actually a really cool thing because, you know, as I'm discovering, you don't got any time to go to movies <laughs> if you have a baby. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think this is a pretty clear-cut case for the Slash Home Court. I mean, open and shut case. Uh, you know, sometimes I like to share – uh, the slash film court emails with uh, my friends and family just to pick their brain and see what they think about it. And uh, when I asked my brother uh, about the slash film court email, he says you should bring two babies to the theater as a po- <laughs> like as a power move, just to reinforce <laughs> acquire another baby, acquire somewhere. another baby, and just bring it just to reinforce that this is a crybaby screening. I mean, yeah. they're advertising as a baby screening. People should know better. And, uh, you know, people in the chat room right now are saying, you know, we're broadcasting live right now. People in the chat room are saying that uh, that they w- would feel weird showing up to a crybaby screening with no with It no is baby. weird. It, it, <laughs> I wonder if this has happened to this, to this caller or this writer uh, once or multiple times because it feels like an aberration. Uh, it feels odd that, that he would find this to be the case. But I have this wonderful vision in my head <laughs> of, of him standing at the front of the, the movie theater – changing the baby and it's like one of those like old movie theaters where the the projection like if you stand up you see your shadow like he's literally just changing the baby going read the sign read the sign just at you know in an act of defiance i love that um colin scott in the chat room says i feel like older folks often feel like they own movie theaters in the daytime which (laughs) they kind of do yeah which i think might feed into why when he goes into this crybaby screening there's a ton of you know senior citizens there. I uh, listen. I paid my discounted senior rate. I should be able to get anything I want. Right. Um, first of all, though, I want to say his wife is one of the good ones, which is nice <laughs> because uh, we literally just got done saying you know people don't feel embarrassed enough about this, and I appreciate his, that his wife feels embarrassed. But uh, th- yeah, I agree with you. This is a very open and shut case. The sign supersedes. Everything else, yeah. and you gotta. If you're not aware of the sign, you gotta refer to the sign. Uh, if this is a clear, clear screening intended for babies, you need not feel any any, you know, embarrassment or or sense of guilt because you brought your baby. That's you. You're doing exactly what is supposed to be happening. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know if people are misinformed or they thought they just bought a regular screening and they didn't realize. You know, uh, it it baffles me as to what their issue is. I think uh, our advice here is go to every person in the theater, like holding your baby and say, excuse me, sir, did you know this is a crybaby screening? There (laughs) you go. During the movie while it's playing. No, I'm just joking. I think you should just continue to be emboldened by the fact that it's a crybaby screening, be emboldened by the changing table, and just just let it all hang out, man. Just do it. Just change your baby in front of everyone. Let them cry because – yeah. People got people got to learn. Like we are fine with uh, obeying the rules of the theater, right? Whether that be kids not being annoying, or in this case, kids it, it being okay for kids to be annoying, and whatever the sign says, you know that is that is law. That I, is law. I think as as an adjudicator in this case in the slash film court, my my ruling would come down heavily punitive on the side of the theater because if the theater is not doing a good enough job what is the size and shape of this sign what is the placement of this sign yeah, right this or sign maybe when is- you buy a ticket like the person the people should be trained to say hey this is a yeah. crybaby screening i notice you are not having it uh, you don't have a child with you you know exactly yeah 
sir. Uh, it, it's like it's like uh, 3D glasses at a 3D screening. You just hand someone a child on their way in. <laughs> like, sir, be, make sure to pick up your crying baby on the way in, please. Uh, I, I have, uh, you know, I have a, a somewhat related issue to this. But firstly, let's just finish the segment off and say, uh, Scott from te- Texas, you're doing a good thing, uh, reinforcing the social norms that the theater is trying to create. Taking babies into the screening is fine. Uh, so that is our ruling. Continue to do so. Don't feel guilty. Right? Agreed. Agreed. Maybe, it, maybe speak to so the theater. So ordered. Go ahead. Yeah, maybe speak to the theater and say, hey, um, how come there's a bunch of people without babies in the crybaby screening? <laughs> yeah. Maybe help me out, man. Help <laughs> yeah. me out. Put a bigger Throw sign Throw me a here. bone. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, so before we move on, Jeff, I, I had a really unfortunate encounter last night in real life. This has nothing to do with movies. It just has to do with discrimination against people who don't have kids. Ah. I'm not going to be on your side on this one anymore, Dave. <laughs> I went to a, rest- a new restaurant in West Seattle called Shelby's. Uh, Shelby's Restaurant and Ice Creamery, which Ooh. right there off the top, I object to the name Ice Creamery. But Why? Whatever. I, I don't know. I feel like things can be a creamery, but, you know, like you're, an ice creamery, it feels like a little bit too on the nose. Anyway, <laughs> let's, not, let's not get into that. That's, we can talk for an hour about that. So, so we go up to the counter, and uh, this, this place is relatively just, new. Real quick. Real quick, I just want to say the idea of of any food establishment's name being too on the nose. Like, I want a little sense of surprise as to what they might offer as far as food. I don't want to know. Anyway, go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. Um, well, I'm just saying it's like you know, you know, like having a steakhouse. You wouldn't call it like a ribeye house, you know. <laughs> so, like, you have a creamery of which ice cream is one of the creams that you. But well, what if they don't do any other creams? Well, you know, that's a concern. I think. <laughs> anyway, look, Jeff, you're really derailing me here. Okay. If I went to a, a steakhouse and I ordered a porterhouse <laughs> and all they have is ribeye, I would have been like, you know, it would have been nice if you'd just been calling yourself a ribeye house. Jeff, come on, let's focus. Who's telling the story here? Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So we go into Shelby's in West Seattle, and. Uh, I, I go up to the counter and uh, I ask for a kid's cone, right? Because whenever you go to an ice cream place these days, uh, <laughs> most of the ice cream places serve you way too much ice cream, right? Like they give you like a, 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 one, a single scoop is either a freaking gigantic scoop or it's like three scoops, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like when you get a single scoop, it's usually like an enormous amount of food. Who has too much ice cream? Nobody. <laughs> All right. So – uh, you know, Jeff, I'm trying to watch my weight. That's why I'm going uh-huh. to the ice cream. That's why, that's why you were hoping there were other creamer, creams that you could <laughs> choose from. That's right. Some low-fat creams that I was hoping to get. <laughs> and uh, so I go in and they say, sorry, we can't give you that. And, and I'm like, why? Is it because I'm not a kid? And they say, yes, we only sell that to kids. And then so through gritted teeth, I order a small. But I'm really pissed because – Firstly, I think if you're selling a product, right, like it's not, it's not like they're giving a kid's discount. You know, they're selling a different product that is smaller for a, a, a smaller price. Than well, the, that is, the, a, that is a, effectively a discount. No, it is not, it's not a discount. A discount would be the same product for a cheaper price. Like it's like if I you see, are a kid, you get $2 off. You know, like I'm not complaining that I can't get that discount because that, that would be preposterous, Jeff. Come on. Mm-hmm. I'm saying – if you're selling a, 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 like adult size single scoop and a kid size like smaller scoop, 
Like, those items should be available to anyone because maybe I have a kid at home. Maybe I have a kid in the car. You know, <laughs> like, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know me, Shelby's. Well, why didn't you just lie and say, oh, it's for my kid uh, in the car? Well, I was with my significant other at the time, <laughs> and I don't think she would have appreciated that. <laughs> uh, Did she appreciate you ordering from the kids' menu? I put this out on Twitter. I, I said this on Twitter last night. I said, an ice cream place refused to sell me a kid-sized cone because no kid was with me. Should I leave them a bad review? Like on Yelp or Google or whatever. I got 775 votes on this uh, Twitter poll. Uh, do you care to guess what the distribution is, Jeff? Uh, God, I don't know. I don't know how ironic these voters are. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell you, it is basically a dead heat. Really? It's wow. like, it was like when I started this podcast, it was fifty-fifty. Was wow. what the uh, what the. Which I was surprised at. I thought it would be like 95-5 of yeah. people saying – I said, you know, should I'm I leave them a bad review? Should I leave them a bad review? The choices were yes, it's discrimination or no, you're ridiculous. And I thought it would be 95% you're ridiculous, 5% yes, discrimination. In fact, it's a dead heat. Wow. So I think there's a lot of people out there who are also really pissed about not being able to get a kid-sized cone. Uh, I once had um, – I was dating a girl. I was about 20 – I don't know, 5, 27, something, 20, in my mid-20s. And I was dating a girl uh, – maybe a little younger. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was a full-grown adult. <laughs> dating a girl, her parents uh, took us on a trip. So we went on a trip. We, she was in her you know, mid-20s. I was in my mid-20s. We went on a trip with her parents. <clears throat> we went to a place and her mom – tried to buy the tickets to the place uh, with the family discount because uh-huh. she said we were a family. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, and they're like, oh, no, that's for uh, you know two adults and two kids. And she's like, that's what we have. And, and, I, and I was very insulted. I was very insulted that I, would, they brought, I was dating her daughter. I was having sexual relations with her daughter, and she attempted to buy the family pack of tickets – for two adults and two kids. I see. So I think what you're saying is you would have voted no, I'm being ridiculous on my Twitter poll. Definitely. <laughs> you you're think ridiculous. You think KidsCon should be for kids and never the twain shall meet. I think it's ridiculous that you wanted to order a kids cone. Well, you know, Jeff, let, let me put this, this. This brings me to a bigger issue, which I'm not going to get into right now <laughs> because we're a film podcast, uh, that – Ice cream places portions are, in general, like 90% of the time, are way oversized. That is – of all the places to complain about portion size, an ice cream place seems like the stupidest. (laughs) Jeff, some people like tasting the good life without consuming it whole and choking on it. To just eat less of it and throw it away. away, And throw it away? So be wasteful, Jeff. That's what you're advocating for. You know, I should have known this after your answer to that popcorn uh, slice from court. Anyway. About, yeah. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I'm not – I'm a waste not want not guy. I'm just saying you, you want less for your money. It, it, it's ridiculous. I, I want less for less Because they're not going to charge you less oh, – you want to charge you less and give you less. Yes. I want them to charge me less and give me less. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think you have to man up and just realize if you're going to have ice cream, you got to have ice cream. There's no, there's no half step to the ice cream. We're not in a kid-sized world, Dave. All right. Well, you know, 
That was a little rough, Jeff, but I understand, as you said, you're a little bit emotionally raw today, so uh, I'm going to forgive that. I'm in a kid-sized world. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com with your Slash Film Court movie dilemmas. We'd love to get to them uh, in the future. And uh, uh, really enjoying this new segment with you, Jeff. And, I agree. Uh, and and I was in sad absentia. to this last week. Yeah. Let's get into what we've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata. Uh, so I, I should say we're going to give away some of the early plot details of The Light Between Oceans. The premise of The Light Between Oceans is which something we will, we will discuss, which Jeff did not know. But we're going to give it away right now because Jeff watched it. He was going to review it with us, and then his wife went into labor. Yes. Now, Jeff, I, I was really excited to, to review that with you guys, and then my wife went into labor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I... Uh, also did not know the premise of Light Between Oceans. We just knew that we really liked Derek C. and Francis' work. And so, hey, hey, let's all go watch that movie, uh, you know, uh, and review it on the Slash Filmcast. About a third of the way into that film, after the second miscarriage that the uh, main character has, Alicia... Yeah, uh, Vikander. Yeah, Vikander has. Uh, that was when I thought, hey, this might have been a bad idea for Jeff Kanata to yeah. watch this uh you know, given that he's about to have a child. And yeah. uh, not only that, but apparently you took your wife to see the film. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Hey, honey, who is uh, <laughs> nine and a half, three quarters pregnant, uh, let's go to the movies because it might be the last time for a while. Uh, I hear that Dave and Devinger are really, really excited to see Light Between Oceans, so let's go to see that. Oh, you like the Mako Fassbender? He's in it. You like the Rachel Weiss? She's in it. Hey, uh, by the way <laughs> – the only thing I knew about this movie is that Michael Fassbender and Rachel Weiss were in it. And I think the fact that Rachel Weiss is in it is a spoiler. Because I kept sitting <laughs> around going, I have a sinking feeling I know who Rachel Weiss is in this situation. <laughs> so she, ha- she really hasn't shown up for a while, and I think I know why. <laughs> so, Jeff, firstly, let me say that sometimes there is an advantage to watching a trailer for a movie. Yeah. Uh, and this is a demonstration of that. But what did you think of The Light Between Oceans? And you know what was it like watching it with your very pregnant wife? Well, it pretty much destroyed both of us um, uh, in a good way, I guess. I mean, we both thought the movie was spectacular. Um, it's, it's quite something. It's, it's an experience. Uh, and that roller coaster of emotion uh, when you don't know where the movie is headed. I mean, at a certain point, because Rachel Weisz hadn't shown up yet, I kind of figured out where it was headed. But the first, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes of the movie, I had no idea where we were going with this. And um, it it uh, it was pretty incredible. It's a pretty incredible experience. Very different movie than anything I've ever seen before. And it's, well, I don't know, not, I don't want to overstate it, but it it's it's, it's a movie probably different than any movie you've seen recently. Yeah, that's more accurate. Um, yeah, it reminds me of like the Constant Gardener, or uh, it's it's interesting. Isn't it interesting, Dave? How when a movie is based on a novel, even if you didn't know going in it was based on a novel, you can sort of feel it. Yeah, yeah, I I think you can, and not necessarily in a good way because they often take shortcuts with character development. You know, in a movie yeah. uh, that they don't during a novel because they can luxuriate with the endless pages. But it's also, I think, it tends to be the case that if a movie is based on a novel, and this again, a gross generalization, but it tends to be the case that they're just a little bit more complex. Mm-hmm. The, the the narrative is just a little bit denser, and um, it's certainly the case in this movie. Uh, and I, I, I mean, I just thought it was was stunning, and especially the way. The movie 
expresses the passage of time. Uh, I just thought it was so elegantly e- expressed in the film, and especially the beginning where you see these long stretches of time compressed into really, really short montage. Or you know, there's a there's a moment in the beginning where you sort of just see the first six months of Michael Fassbender living alone on this uh, on this lighthouse, and he's there for six months, and we see it in I don't know. A minute, if yeah. that, if that, you know, <laughs> yep. but it, it's, it's really powerful and you get it and it doesn't, the movie doesn't do anything particularly, um, you know, it's not hitting you over the head with the passage of time. It's not like, it's not a montage in the classic, you know, 80s sense of a montage. It's more, it's, it's, it's more subtle than that and beautiful, really beautiful imagery to show the loneliness and the, the long days and and the isolation it's 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 pretty well done and and several moments like that in the movie where long passages of time are passing it never says like two years later or whatever you know it it, yeah. it really brings you through that um but uh, yeah i mean it's a it's a devastating movie for for anybody but especially for people that are about to have kids uh we you know we were bawling throughout and it it I think the ultimate dilemma in the movie is so heart-wrenching and uh, you can see – you know, there's no bad guy in this movie. Right. Like right? you could have seen yourself doing what you know, certain characters did. They made some bad decisions. They made bad could, decisions. And but you could they have made, seen yourself doing that same thing, right? They're like bad but good-hearted decisions, yeah. right? And it's all good people trying to be good, and you you totally understand why they're in the situation. And then, you know, when other characters come in, you understand their position too. And it's like everybody has a legitimate point to be made, and there's no the only loser in this situation is the child. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> really no good way out of it, and it, it is uh, it's hard to watch, and you just you find yourself unable to even you know you go, what would I even do there? And it's all good people trying to be good, and even Michael Fassbender is trying to you know, he's trying to do the right thing it's it's heart wrenching and a gorgeously shot film and beautifully acted film it's i i think it's one of the one of my favorite movies of the year i really liked it a lot great uh well that's the light between oceans jeff kanata couldn't join us for our main review but uh he saw it and he's a fan uh despite how gut-wrenching it is. I hadn't have, haven't had a chance to listen to the episode. Did you guys enjoy it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we all liked it. Although, you know, the, the response is actually quite tepid. Uh, oh, really? In the critical community, yeah. People uh, weren't such huge fans of it. I, I think it had, it had like 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. And There are a few scenes in it that just stand up next to, you know, the great dramatic scene. The, the moment on the beach where she lays her head down on the... Yeah. And and then hears what she hears and how that plays out. It, the, and there are certain sequences that are lyrical and powerful at, at the same time. Like it's we're in this sort of dream state, but it's also really grounded and real and, and, and urgent. I just think there's some beautiful filmmaking in this movie. Uh, agreed completely. Again, that's the light between oceans. Jeff Kanata, anything else you've been watching? Yeah, you know, I've been saying for years that the uh, you know everybody loves HBO as do I. Everybody loves Netflix, as do I. But the the third, you know, the third network that sits in that pantheon for me that is just as good and hits just as many home runs has the same high batting average as as Netflix and HBO is FX. 
So anytime there's a new FX series, I will perk up and, and watch it. I mean, I think my favorite show of all time, The Shield, FX original. And ever since that show, I think FX has consistently been a top-tier network for television. Two new shows premiered this week. I watched the first episodes of both. Uh, and again, both of them I thought were fantastic. The first is Atlanta. Have you had a chance to watch Atlanta yet, Dave? No, but her good things. This is a new Don Glover show, right? Yeah, Donald Glover from uh, Community and, and other things. Um, he created this and stars in it. And it takes place in Atlanta in a very urban part of Atlanta. It's, uh, it's focuses on, a, on an area and a culture that you don't see in television, you know, most of the time, which is is pretty cool. And the tone of the show is so unique. I mean, it very much has a comedic backbone that you could draw direct lines from something like um, uh, Thirty Rock or Community. I mean, it is. Well, the- uh, I think Don Glo- Don Glover was a writer. Uh, he obviously started exactly. Community, and he was a writer uh, for Thirty Rock. So he was, yeah. And you see those. That DNA in this very dramatic show. I mean, the the substance of what's being talked about is super dark and super serious. I mean, this is these are inner city people dealing with very difficult situations. We're talking life and death in the pilot. We're talking uh, poverty and um, uh, single parenting and rough situations all over, and yet. Laughing out loud constantly from jokes that are not that are you know that are like TV comedy jokes set up punchline but wry sarcastic smart like whip smart like Thirty Rock was. Um, I mean, there's a moment where the Donald Glover is waiting for this guy to to talk to him, and he he comes walking walking out and walks over to the guy, and they start having a conversation. And the middle of it, the guy goes. Did you come out of that dumpster? <laughs> Just like out of nowhere. I mean, and there's lots of that. There's a lot of Donald Clover doing lines like sarcastic takes that he would have done on Community or he would have uh, – you would see a character do on 30 Rock. But in the context of this really, really serious, grounded show, I've never really seen anything marry those two tones like this show does before. And it's it's kind of – uh, hard to pull a, not watch. I mean, it is, it's riveting. It's riveting television. It, it's really ambitious to, to do that and to talk about very pertinent topics, issues that are, you know, that are very much in the headlines and, and ground them in, in human beings and, and talk about uh, a culture that you don't see on television. You know, this, this very poor uh, Atlanta uh, inner city, really. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. So that's Atlanta. It's on FX right now. And uh, what else have you been watching, Jeff? And Better Things is the other FX show. Uh, this is Pamela Adlon's show that she is making with Louis C.K. Pamela Adlon was in Louis C.K.'s show uh, as his love interest on and off in, in on Louis. Um, and evidently they are good friends. And this is sort of a semi-autobiographical show about her raising – her kids as a single mom and being an actor in Hollywood and a voiceover artist. Very, very autobiographical. Uh, and it's, uh, it's basically female Louie, as, as you might expect. Um, you know, Louie raising single kids, being a stand-up comedian. This is female Louie. It, uh, it, it might as well it, like, take place in the same universe as Louie, right? Like, yeah. It could even it, be it, the same character. 
Theoretically, right? although yeah. Pamela Adlon's character isn't really this in his show, but yeah, I mean, it, it you could have her run into her from his show. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and it. I love Louis to the bottom of my core, and this scratches that same itch. It's it's really honest. It's really funny. It's you know, it's characters in very raw situations uh, that that you know, it's. It's a show about a character and you can tell none of the filmmakers are worried about them coming out looking good. All they're worried about is telling the truth and that makes for some some great television. And, you know, Lucy, he directed the episode. It, it it feels like his show. It's just starring somebody else and about, you know, sort of the, the female side of this experience. And I think that's really worth watching. All right. Uh, well, that is uh, Better Things and it is also on FX right now. Let me talk about a few things I've been watching, Jeff Kanata. Sure. Firstly, I saw a movie called Equity with my significant other. And mm-hmm. this is a movie, I'll just read the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, this, this movie stars Anna Gunn, who played Skylar White in Breaking Bad. Uh, according to IMDb, the plot summary is senior investment banker Naomi Bishop is threatened by a financial scandal and must untangle a web of corruption. Now, uh, my significant other is a hardcore feminist, and so when she sees a very talented uh, female actor taking on a lead role in a movie that annihilates the Bechdel test, she says to me, hey, uh, I'm going to buy you a ticket for this movie so you can see it and talk about it in the What We've Been Watching segment on the Slash Filmcast. We'll go uh, to the movie. Afterwards, you'll get a kid-sized ice cream. It'll be adorable. <laughs> you know what, Jeff? <laughs> Kid size ice cream is a totally reasonable purchase. Anyway, and, and <laughs> By the I should, way, I should point out, you know, let me also point this out: is that since you got me back on the topic, that there are plenty of uh, ice cream places in Seattle that uh, that allow this practice. Molly Moons has never refused my attempt to purchase a kid size ice cream, <laughs> and they're a great place, much better than Shelby's. I should point out, <laughs> Jeff. You're what the were you guy. Saying? You're <laughs> the guy at Molly Moons who comes in. He's that guy that orders the. <laughs> the kid size. It's like you walk in, you're like, hey, hey, Mr. Chen, you're regular? <laughs> Teeny tiny ice cream cone? <laughs> um, Jeff, this figure that I have doesn't just happen on its own, okay? I understand that. I understand. It's a lot of hard work uh, <laughs> negotiating smaller sizes at places. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Jeff, you were going to say something else about equity? or uh, No, I don't know anything about equity. Okay, okay. Well, anyway... Uh, <laughs> this is a movie directed by Mira Menon. Uh, it stars Anna Gunn, James Purefoy, Sarah Megan Thomas. Um, and so there's a lot of talent behind this movie. Uh, but this is one of those movies, and Jeff, have you ever done this where you go to see a movie and maybe it's, the movie started strong, but maybe about halfway through, I, I just like if the circumstances under which I came to see this movie weren't the case, I would have just left the theater because. The movie was very bad. It was oh. very awful. Uh, it started out good and got worse? That's right. Uh, and That doesn't happen very often. Usually you can tell a bad movie pretty quick. Uh, I think that's right. I think that's right. But have you ever been in a situation where it's like, oh, man, I would totally walk out except social pressure keeps me from walking out? Uh, yeah. That was certainly the case here where I, I just like – I would rather – you know, leave and go read articles on my phone because I feel like that would be a better <laughs> use of my time. Yeah. Uh, this movie is pretty rough, and I, I think, 
I Did would your say, significant other agree with yes, that assessment? Yes, she, she agreed it was very bad. <laughs> and and actually, I said, maybe I just shouldn't talk about it on the Slash Filmcast. And she said, well, you know, uh, there's this kind of school of thought that says, like, if, uh, if a product on Amazon has uh, one negative review, one review, even if it's a negative review, that will make you more likely to buy it than if a product has zero reviews, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so her thinking is that she wants to support this kind of movie, you know, movies directed by women, led by women, uh, but that, like, it's better if I give it a negative review on the podcast than if I just never talk about it. Because now, Jeff, you know that there's this movie named Equity that exists, right? Yeah, right. And maybe one day when you're flipping through it on TV, you'll say, hey, Dave Chen mentioned that movie a long time ago. Can't remember whether he liked it or not. Right. <laughs> you know? Uh, but, yeah, this movie is very bad. And I think... To, to sum up why it's bad, it's, ver- it's bad on the script level. Um, the direction is fine. It looks good. The performances are fine. But the script is very bad. And, and I think the way I would describe it is how I would describe Jason Bourne, right? The new Paul Greengrass, Matt Damon film, where it felt like there were all these ideas, like that they had these rough ideas of what scenes should be and what themes should be. And this is the scene where so-and-so confronts so-and-so about the equity. Or this is the scene where uh, they try to sell this social, social media company. This movie is about like an IPO uh, of a social media company, like a tech company. This movie's understanding of technology is about the same level as Jason Bourne's understanding of technology. Just these nice. vague generalities that don't feel authentic at all. You know, like, the movies that I really love, like, when Aaron Sorkin writes a movie, right, uh, a lot, like, with Steve Jobs as an example, you know, he doesn't actually understand anything going on in that world, but he does his research and knows how people in that world kind of speak or at least knows how to replicate it in such a way that you would believe that that's how people in that world speak right right and no not point talking down to the audience exactly at no point during this movie did i feel oh that's really how um these people would actually speak to each other that's really how these bankers would actually talk um and there's a lot of like affectation in the movie i'll give you an example anna gunn has a boss who uh, is very unreasonable and oppressive. And every time she goes into his office, he's playing Jenga. <laughs> like, to by indicate... Himself? He's just playing Jenga by himself or maybe with whoever walks in to indicate kind of uh, how quirky he is, you, mm. you know? It's like Jenga is a new tending to a bonsai tree, right? Like, that is <laughs> that is how you indicate how rich and care you know carefree a boss Jenga. is. Yeah, he's so rich. He bought that, like, $6 box of wooden blocks. No, but you know what I'm saying, right? They just like he doesn't give a cra- like all he cares about yeah. is what this Jenga game is happening. He doesn't really give a crap about what's going on in this company. <laughs> Jenga. I think That's that hilarious. there is, you know, there are ideas in the movie that uh, I think will resonate with women, you know, pe- women who have been in the workplace. This idea that like women need to w- just look at the current election and Matt Lauer's horrendous interview of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. The idea that like women need to work twice as hard to get respected the same, you know. What uh, bothered me the most about that though was Matt Lauer playing Jenga the whole time. <laughs> that was disturbing. But yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, so I think there, there's ideas like that uh, about like what it is like to be a woman uh, mm-hmm. in a very male-dominated workplace that will resonate with female viewers. But they're just that. They're just like ideas, like vague concepts that never really add up to anything in the end. Yeah. However, I will say this about Equity starring Anna Gunn. 
there is an incredible 30-second scene of her th- that involves her yelling about a chocolate chip cookie at the end of the film that I think is going to become like six months from now, I guarantee you, will be, it'll go on YouTube and get a million views. It's going to be a meme because it is an amazing scene. And the movie roars to life at that moment. And it's like, wow, if this had been the whole movie, I would have been like, you know, raving about how awesome this movie was. But um, unfortunately, it was not. And the movie ended up just being kind of felt like, a, like an outline of a film rather than uh, an actually compelling movie. So that is equity, unfortunately. And uh, it's out in limited release right now. And a gun does a great job, though. And, you know, if you want to see more Anna Gunn, that is a way to do it. I just wish the movie had been better. Better than she was in Sully? <laughs> yeah. I mean, she actually gets twice as many lines, Jeff. Wow. <laughs> so, like, 15 lines. Anyway. Uh, other thing I just want to mention, I finally finished Mad Men after, like, years of wait. Like, I had, like, the, the final, like, seven episodes. I just wasn't watching. I finally finished it. And I wanted to say it was worth the journey. Uh, there were some... Pretty amazing moments uh, in the the final few episodes. Jeff, are you a Mad Men type of guy? I fell off after season two and never never got back on. It's not a show that I particularly like. Was a huge fan of. I'm not like Mad Men is one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, I found it to be like frustrating to watch. But uh, looking back on the on the show, looking back on the you know hundred hours of, of episodes that there are, it, it is kind of a situation where, wow, we had some amazing moments with a lot of these characters. I, I, like some of these moments between characters I'll remember for the rest of my life just because of how powerful they were. And uh, so for that, I think it's, it's worth checking out and staying all the way to the end. Uh, but it's not a show that I liked as much as you know some of the other ones in the Pantheon. But just wanted to give a shout out for it because all the entire series is on Netflix. And um, if you're if you're kind of deciding trying to decide whether to finish the show, I would say it's worth uh, going all the way to the end. And uh, it definitely takes some interesting turns. So Mad Men uh, on Netflix. That's the other thing I wanted to mention. And finally, uh, a couple weeks ago, Peter Sreda was on the podcast and he mentioned a, an Iron Giant documentary that was. Uh, directed by Anthony Giacchino, Michael Giacchino's brother. And he also said he's the guy who did the Mission Impossible documentary on the uh, Ghost Protocol Blu-ray. And uh, I had bought the Best Buy exclusive Ghost Protocol Blu-ray because we apparently have exclusives based on retailers now, and there's different special features depending on which retailer you buy from, which is madness in my opinion. Because you, you know, special features have enough difficult time getting love already and getting watched, as evidenced by the fact that I didn't even crack this open until now. And uh, so I don't think we should be discriminating based on retailers. But anyway, I decided to check it out, and wow! It which is, mis- go ahead. Which Mission Impossible is this? Uh, this is Mission Impossible Four: Ghost Protocol. Okay. So the Blu-ray for Ghost Protocol, which I bought from Best Buy, because I was like, past Dave really was, you know. Had had it under control because I knew that future Dave would never forgive past Dave for buying the inferior like Amazon Blu-ray version that doesn't have this amazing documentary, even though it would be years until I watched it. Well done, past uh, Dave. I know, seriously, past Dave did a good job. So uh, yeah, so I bought this this Blu-ray and it has like a ninety-minute documentary on the making of Ghost Protocol, which is fantastic. I mean, it features you know the the kind of. Uh, Holy how much grail. of it is? How much of it is just climbing that building? Uh, a lot of it, actually. And what's yeah, fascinating is so so that portion is super fascinating because uh, in order to shoot that scene, you have to have Tom Cruise going out on the side of the building, 
and uh, he so that you need to remove panes of glass from the building. Like the whole building, the Burj Khalifa is just glass, right? Like the right. outside of the building is all glass, and so you need to remove a pane of glass so that Tom Cruise can step outside of it, and then you need to remove another pane of glass and many many panes of glass uh, so that. You can stick cameras outside of it, right? And and stick equipment outside of it. And so they ended up, you know, they had never removed glass from it before. Like that, that was never something that would have been done. And uh, they are the the studio argued, hey, if you can put glass on it, you can take glass off it. And uh, <laughs> so they ended up. Remo- they thought they'd remove like two panes of glass. They ended up removing twenty five panes of glass. And they show how that's done, and it's not easy. And it got to the point where. You think about it, right? You're 120 stories up in the air. You're removing these massive panes of glass. And then you have all this crew with this uh, very expensive IMAX equipment shooting uh, this very complicated sequence where you have one of the biggest movie stars in the world dangling uh, outside of the building. And uh, so how are you going to prevent your crew from falling out of the window and dying? So they had to develop like this whole kind of pulley system where basically they, they would like tape off the entire area near the window. And if you stepped into that area, you need to have a harness connected to yourself so that yeah. you would not fall out of the window and die. So think about that for like dozens and dozens of years. They need to develop like a whole new harness system just to shoot that sequence. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's awesome. mind-blowing the work that they had to do to, uh, to make that movie. And that that is probably my favorite Mission Impossible movie. Rogue Nation is great, but the action scenes in Ghost Protocol, I think, cannot be beat. I mean, that Burj Khalifa sequence is one of the best stunt sequences of all time, and to see how much of it they actually did, even even stuff they didn't have to do in real life. Like, there's a scene where Tom Cruise is dangling out the window, and Jeremy Renner like has him by the leg. They actually dangled Tom Cruise out the window. They didn't have to do that. They could have just shot it in green screen, yeah. you know. But they did it in real life. And it feels different, you know, when you do it in real life. And it's crazy that you know when you have a new James Bond movie, the questions are like, oh, what's the what's the song? Who's going to do the song? What's the like opening beat going to be? There's like these these established templates, right, for these kinds of movies. For Mission Impossible movies, it's what crazy ass thing is Tom Cruise going to do? <laughs> We're running out of tall things for Tom Cruise to hang off the side of. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. and yeah, it's it's crazy and. Uh, just watching it too, like Brad Bird, this is his first live action film, and there's so many moving parts, so many things to keep track of. It's remarkable it came out as well as it did. Uh, and it, it's just, it's a really good behind the scenes documentary that will give you a really good appreciation. Like, the holy grail of behind the scenes documentaries is actually behind the scenes footage, like seeing yeah. what it was like without CG and without visual effects and without totally. all this crazy stuff. And the the documentary has tons of that. And so. Uh, that is awesome. And it will give you just an appreciation of how difficult it is to make a blockbuster. Also, Alec Bernal in the chat room says um, the documentary is great. Uh, and watching it, that's when I realized how much of a producer Tom Cruise is on his movies. Totally true. I mean, without Tom Cruise, they might have never done the Burj Khalifa sequence because you know Tom Cruise can say, hey, I'm going to hang off the side of your building. And of course, they had to convince uh, you know, the people who own the building that, hey, nothing bad is going to happen. Because if something bad happened, that would be pretty bad for the Burj Khalifa. You know, yeah. like, it would become yeah. known as the building uh, that Tom Cruise fell off the side of and died. Yeah, no kidding. But I did like um, <clears throat> one thing that was said in the doc- documentary, which is like, f- for the stunt people and for the for the crew, it's like for us, there's no difference between 50 feet 
and 200 feet yeah. and 1,000 feet because yeah. if you fall – They all kill you. If you fall, you will die. Like, yeah. You might have more time to think about it <laughs> in yeah. one or the other. But you know, the, the safety measures they had to take were the same. Uh, it's just on a much grander scale. So it's that's it's fascinating. I, you know what I always it always crosses my mind when I ever see a, whenever I see a uh, behind the scenes documentary is how much footage is recorded behind the scenes that no one ever sees. Right. There, there must be hours and hours and hours and hours of just behind the scenes stuff that it would be fascinating to watch that never makes it into anything. Yeah, you know? and and I mean, even this very good documentary that's on the Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol Blu-ray, probably a lot of people haven't even watched it. You know, it's probably like on the yeah. like there's probably tons of Blu-rays. Well, you don't buy Blu-rays anymore, but if you did, there's probably a ton of Blu-rays you have that you just haven't seen all the special features for all of them yet. You know, that's why I stopped buying them. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I would say if you have the Blu-ray, crack it open and go watch this documentary. And if you don't have the Blu-ray, go buy it. You know, like it's. It's a lot cheaper by now. Uh, the Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol Blu-ray with the documentary uh, by Anthony Giacchino, uh, talented filmmaker. Oh, I do wish that this movie – like they shot Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol in 2010. So Brad Bird was using an iPhone 4 to shoot a lot of behind the scenes. And man, when you compare that to the new iPhones, like that is rough footage. Um, <laughs> I wish they had made Ghost Protocol like four years later. So the iPhone – because they use a lot of the iPhone stuff for behind the scenes. Um, I wish it like it looked a lot better. So it, it just made me think, like, man, in in ten years from now, yeah. you know, today's footage, behind the scenes footage, is going to look real primitive. And uh, you know, iPhones are going to be used to shoot more and more things. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that develops as a as a filmmaking tool. Totally. Uh, so that's the Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol Blu-ray. Uh, awesome film. Awesome behind the scenes. Uh, and that is what we've been watching this week, Jeff Kanata. Before we get to our review, we got to thank all the people that donated to the Slash Filmcast this week. Thanks to Matt P. from Trinity, North Carolina for a very generous donation. And Brian P. from Culver City, California. Thanks also to Brian Peterson and Kai Ellis for donating at the rate of $2 per month uh, and being a subscriber that way. If you want to support what we do here on the Slash Filmcast and help feed Jeff Kanata's child. Yeah, please. He's very hungry. <laughs> go to SlashFilm.com. Click on the Slash Filmcast tab and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, all that money helps us defray the cost of uh, watching movies, putting on the show for you. So we really appreciate all of our donors every week on the Slash Filmcast. Thanks for donating. Uh, thanks for supporting the show. Let's move on to our review of Sully. Texas 1549, runway 4, clear for takeoff. Sully. 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 Sully, where are you? No one warned us. No one said you were going to lose both engines at a lower altitude than any jet in history. This was dual engine loss at 2,800 feet, followed by an immediate water landing with 155 souls on board. No one has ever trained for an incident like that. That was from the trailer Sully, the newest film by director Clint Eastwood, uh, and it was written by Todd Komarnicki. It stars uh, Tom Hanks and Aaron Heckhart. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. The story of Chesley Sullenberger, who became a hero after gliding his plane along the water in the Hudson River, saving all the airplane flights, 155 crew and passengers. I should mention spoilers for real life for this review of Sully. If you don't know what actually happened, maybe tune out uh, of this review because we're going to talk in depth about it. 
not much to spoil though. So Sully chronicles what happens with U.S. Airways Flight 1549 on January 15th of 2009, uh, and it is a story that is well known all across America. It's something that we, Jeff, I assume you had heard of this story before going into the theater. Yes, correct? not yeah. not possible to be unsullied for Sully. You gotta, uh, yeah, uh, be sullied for yeah, Sully. All right, good one. So, so you know, the question for me always going into a movie like this is. Even if you already know the ending, can this movie still generate suspense? Can it make you tense? Can it make you invested in the outcome? Uh, and so that's my question for you, Jeff, is like knowing the ending, were you still on the edge of your seat, especially during uh, the film's central plane landing sequence? Definitely. Uh, and I think that key to that is the structure of the film itself. It doesn't play that moment as a question mark it doesn't play it as a will will we get out alive will we survive this Uh, it's not interested in that question it's asking different questions and just the the pure mechanics of showing that sequence in fact we live through it twice in the movie um and the the pure i I think you have that like wrong by half it's probably like four or five times (laughs) at least that's what it feels like uh but you know, it, it, the pure mechanics of seeing how that, how that's, all of that went down, how it actually played out, is dramatic. It doesn't need to be contextualized as a "Will our hero get out of this one alive?" Stay tuned. It doesn't need it doesn't need that context to be dramatic and be interesting, at least in my opinion. And I think that's wise on the filmmaker's part, you know, to understand that people going into this movie aren't going to be curious as to whether or not they survive. This is not told chronologically. In fact, the the central question of the movie is much more interesting and it is one that I had no idea about, right? I, I only knew the sort of loose headlines of this story, which is Captain Sullenberger landed the plane. Everybody survived. He's a hero. But evidently what was really going on at that time was questioning whether or not he made the right decision. And I found that question to be pretty interesting and uh, a revelation in the sense of I didn't – oh, oh, there's a layer to the story I didn't know. Uh, there is a reason for this movie to exist. Um, Firstly, I would not go that far, Jeff, <laughs> no? because I don't know that you can trust that what the film says is uh, really accurate. In fact, uh, the NTSB people who are kind of represented in the film, thankfully none of them are named in the film, but but they are represented in the film, uh, have come out and said like the movie is wildly inaccurate about their depiction. Um, well, the New, York, I, New York Times has written about this in an article called Sully is the latest historical film to prompt off-screen drama. I'll link to it in the show notes. But yeah, uh, it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily trust everything the film says as fact is what I'll say. Fair enough. And I, I, I sensed that to be the case, even though I didn't read these articles after seeing it. I, I sensed that to be the case. And I, and I would level some criticism at the movie for characterizing – for sort of manufacturing villains in this, in right. this case uh, and really making the situation a very clear good guy versus bad guy, doubters versus our, our trusted, innately heroic hero. Um, and I feel like that's inaccurate, but also simplistic filmmaking that didn't need to be the case. I I ended up really liking this movie a lot, um, but it was in spite of that structure of manipulating me into you know rooting for Sully and rooting against the NTSB and having this kind of 
this weird panel of of villains. I mean, they're like it's like um, Peck from uh, from Ghostbusters, right? It's like the, it, these eighties like bureaucrats who just don't right. understand it. Like nobody would be that have a lack of compassion for what you know i just it just feels wrong but as i have already stated i did appreciate the fact that at least the central question that the movie is built around isn't one of uh dramatic uh, in the moment you know it's not like oh it, will they survive this crash it's 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 a more interesting take on it it's kind of worried about what's the what's the fallout of something like this and i thought just sort of raising that question and putting that that situation into my mind was was interesting enough to to justify the film, uh, even if it's not done in a completely effective way or believable way. Did you see this movie in IMAX, Jeffrey? I did not. Okay, uh, so I saw it in in fake IMAX, Limax. It, it was a uh, an IMAX theater that is has the upgraded sound and picture, but not the giant screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a uh, larger screen than usual, but not like a five-story size screen. Anyway, I will say here, here's what I really liked about the movie. The movie looked amazing, uh, mm-hmm. and it was shot on IMAX cameras, and the resolution, you know, the objects are so sharp, it looks like they could cut you. You know, like it's so high resolution, it looks amazing. And I also think the central uh, conflict in the film, or, or not the not conflict, the the um, Plane sequence. Crisis. Yeah. The crisis, yeah. Uh, is is amazing. Uh, now, it really is. That's, that sequ- the entire, like in real life, that sequence took 30 minutes to play out. Right. And uh, I think in the movie, it's not quite that long. Maybe it's like 20, you know, 15 minutes. It's not quite that long. I wish it had been in real time because I think that would have given the movie something more compelling to recommend it. In my review, I called it a spectacular plane sequence in search of a movie, which I mm-hmm. think it is. Like, I, I think, think that's a fair assessment. But that's, that plane sequence is... Uh, you can't overstate. Yeah, it like, is one of the best plane sequences ever put to film, in my opinion. And and also, and I loved how matter of fact everything was. Like it, it didn't. It really, as much as the film is at fault for over dramatizing everything else. When we're finally in that sequence, it doesn't play sentimental. It doesn't play inauthentic. It doesn't play overly dramatic or or movie. You know, it it really feels grounded and matter of fact and these are the kinds of movies that i love this is why i love aaron sorkin you know west west wing type movies this is there are these smart people doing their job effectively it it is so compelling to watch and you don't have to brandish it with anything extraneous it doesn't have to be loaded down with movie stuff it's just just show me people doing their job like the air traffic controller in this movie who isn't a movie star is just some guy they cast like his moments are awesome just because he's doing his job you know that's it's really watchable yeah, it's like competence porn right <laughs> totally um but yeah uh it's it's a really great sequence and i think my favorite touch from that sequence is when the stewardesses all start chanting in unison i know uh, I like, it's like that did that actually happen real? in real life yeah. is that real you know they, they start saying like you know Heads down, stay down, brace yeah. yourself. Like they all start chanting you. So it's it's very freaky, but at the same time, you're like, I understand why they would do that because you don't have any misunderstanding of what you're supposed to do in that situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, so the, the plane sequence is awesome. Everything else about the movie, I thought, uh, was 
very poorly handled. I mean, I don't think the movie is really about anything. You know, the movie could have been about a lot of things. This whole NTSB drama, it is so thin. I mean, it's like three scenes, you know, of like them confronting the NTSB. That's it. And there's just not that much that goes into it. You know, he has this aha moment like, oh, I've, I've cracked the case, you know, halfway through the movie. And it's like, well, th- there's, there's no drama there. There's no stakes. Um, hey, let me ask you this question, Jeff. Did they ever find a tenant for that property of theirs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm referring to, you know, a subplot that is well, brought up at the beginning of the film line. that is absolutely zero stakes and that is never returned to at the end. Like well, but that is one line, and it's only there to establish that if Sullenberger loses his job, they are in financial crisis. That's sure. the, that's the only reason that's even in the movie. It's like we need money. You can't you can't not be a pilot anymore. Sure, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I, like this movie could have been about a lot of things. It could have been about what it's like to face down the, the glare of the spotlight and how overwhelming that can be, and you know and how you almost can is it 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 That's touches right. on that lightly. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it touches upon everything lightly. You know, yeah. it could be about like the bureaucratic nightmare that happens after. You know, and it's it's kind of about that. Like, but that's never really a compelling. You know, uh, draw, like that's actually the movie that was sold in the trailer. I would say. Uh, but that never actually is compelling in the final film because there's just there's so little there. I mean, this is one of Clint Eastwood's shortest films. It's mercifully short, I think. You know, I don't think it, it should have been longer based on how it was handling things. But but it just never really gets to be about anything. It could have been, yeah, it could have been about like the bureaucratic mess that prevents that prevents our white male heroes from being heroes. You know, but it's not really about that. I just, I guess, I just disagree with you, Dave. That the plane sequence isn't enough. <laughs> like you, know, you think that movie just justifies the whole thing? I mean, honestly, I I was so taken with with that experience and going through that, and like I said, you go through it at least twice from different places, and it's so effectively done. And so I, I as I said, I'm given to like these kinds of experiences where you you see smart people working effectively at their jobs, and you you kind of peel back the curtain and see it's it's almost like procedural if if procedurals were actually the actual procedures um i find that stuff to be riveting and this movie delivers on that count you like you see how people deal with a crisis and they keep their head and it i find that very inspiring and i find it infinitely watchable and uh i came out of this movie feeling like time well spent because i had that very powerful experience of smart person dealing with a crisis in a in a in a way that felt authentic all right fair enough so that one plane sequence was enough for you well now, like i said you go through it a couple of times and and it's and, uh, to me to rem- me it felt like they're trying to stretch out like a very thin movie to fit a even a 90 minute running time Perhaps because, I mean, because they, yeah they replay the, you you see it, it typically i think what you're used to is you you see like snippets of the sequence and then at the end they give you like the full monty like they show you everything and that's not how it unfolds like they structure very oddly in my opinion because they they give you the full monty like everything in like the middle of the film versus the end right uh it just it, it just felt like they were trying to pad things out in a way that i thought was a bit odd um but let me ask you this question there's been oscar talk for tom hanks this movie is one of tom hanks like kind of best opening weekends in in quite a while uh, and this Oscar talk for him, like, what did you think of his performance? Do you think it was, you know, one of his best? 
Well, this is a movie that Tom Hanks has made several times now. <laughs> you know, he's this is Captain Phillips. This is uh, Apollo thirteen. This is uh, Saving Private Ryan. This is this is what Tom Hanks does now. I guess he takes uh, historical figures that are every everyday guys and that are in extraordinary situations that we all know the outcome of, and he does this to them. Uh, I mean, he's great. He's always great. I don't think he. I don't think this is remotely as good a performance as Captain Phillips was. Um, well, he's, sequel- just, he's just not given as much to do, you know. Right. Yeah. It's I mean, not, he's, it's he's not. Very, a, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean. It, yeah. Captain and Phillips was, was an incredible. That was an incredible performance. I mean, incredible. I mean, the moment at the end alone. Yeah, just that moment, and, and you get it. Like it, he, to, it's totally earned. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, and there's nothing even remotely like this. It made me want to go watch this movie. Made me want to rewatch Captain Phillips because of how good that movie was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, no, uh, Captain Phillips is is spectacular. But and this does not ever 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 even approach those heights. But again, I was, I, I felt like I got my money's worth by being in that situation. And the fact that I was in that situation a second time and didn't and I got something new out of it. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. That that. It didn't feel like a retread of that moment. I did have new insight and I was given a new perspective. And it's such a dramatic thing and knowing it really happened, it, I don't know. I found it very effective. Um, I, I liked the movie. I, I, and I agree with you that it has lots of problems that structurally it, it kind of doesn't make sense. And and <laughs> especially the, the end is – is really hokey and strange and you know it's very Clint Eastwoody. It's like Well sir, you know, it's it's old fashioned. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's like we all agree that we've made a mistake and you are you know, it's like it's very weird. Um, yeah. but but again, it didn't it that didn't ruin what I found to be a pretty powerful experience in the middle. All right. Well, uh, that's Jeff's thoughts on Sully. I thought uh, it's it's a decent plane sequence, and you should check it out because the plane sequence is very good. Uh, and you know, catch it on video on demand. I would say, like when it hits home video, like get it then, uh, or go check it out in the theater if you really want to uh, see it in IMAX. I, I would say if you're going to see it, definitely see it in IMAX. Only see it in IMAX if you're going to uh, like really appreciate this one sequence in it, and don't expect a great movie around it. But uh, a lot of people seem to like this movie. It's, you know, it's out, out in theaters right now. It did very well at the box office. And so um, you know, I hope people, people get something out of it. But I did not think it was Clint Eastwood or Tom Hanks' strongest uh, work. And uh, yeah, th- th- those are my thoughts on Sully out in theaters right now. There's a moment in, in the movie, uh, speaking to how things have changed since having a kid, there's a moment in the movie where there's a little boy – uh, who's on the on the plane with a single mom, or at least a mom by herself, and a stranger next to her turns and says, "Let me hold him," and it destroyed me. <laughs> that moment, I was like, "Woof!" I thought that was like I totally understood what that moment was was doing, and I get that. But like, if I was that stranger, I might have done the same thing. But as the mom, I would have been like, "No." <laughs> You well, know, I think the idea was that he's stronger and can brace the kid. You know? oh, oh, okay. I thought you didn't get was... that? No, no I, I, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but I didn't they're know... telling everybody to brace themselves, and he's and he's like, "Let me, let me do this because I think I can probably help here." 
And I just thought that was ugh. I, I think uh, I think the reason I didn't immediately I, I I definitely thought that was a possibility. I think the reason I didn't immediately interpret it like that was because um, I felt like the dude was kind of creepy in the first place, and uh-huh. uh, the, you know the idea that he might want to hold this child uh, as oh, kind weird. of an expression of love. Uh, oh no no no! I didn't get that at all. I thought he was. Okay. I, think, no, you were, I think you were right, Jeff. I think you were yeah. right. I misinterpreted that moment. But, um. <laughs> let me let me give him my kid size ice cream cone. <laughs> this podcast is over, Jeff. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening to our review. Oh, one one last thing I just want to mention about Sully that I actually thought was quite good is, I think. Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood in this film like is does a really good job of kind of giving you like kind of inserting you into this environment of uh, of like communities of people. Like, what is it like to be uh, an air traffic controller? You know, what does that feel like in that room? What is it like to be an NTSB investigator? What does it feel like in that room? Like that, the, the atmosphere of the film, I actually really appreciated. Um, yeah, and the use of background artists, that kind of thing, it's not something you like. I we appreciate that much, you know, the use of background I, artists. But I don't have any basis for this, but I suspect that a lot of real people who do those jobs were used. Yeah, in, yeah, uh, because he tends to do that. He tends to do that, and like certainly the credits, like they show you the real people involved in the story and yeah. that kind of stuff. So. Uh, yeah. The other thing that is crazy about Clint Eastwood is he's a what infinity year old man who uh, he also always does the music for his movies. It's just it's just crazy to me that he's like <laughs> producing his movies, making his movies, and then like sitting down at the old <laughs> ivories and just <laughs> coming up with a theme. Yeah, it just he's, doesn't seem. Like he him. is eighty six years old, and it's yeah. like wow, like just the plane sequence alone, like. It actually looks like they landed a plane in a body of water to shoot that sequence. Yeah. And it takes some skill to direct it. Now, some people didn't like that sequence. I read some reviews that were very down on it, but I, I was very impressed. So, All right. That's the end of our episode. Uh, stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Canale, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can follow me on Twitter, especially if you're into newborn photos. Um, I have an Instagram that is now being populated by that. Uh, I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I will be back to my video game podcast this week as well. That's called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And uh, back to We Have Concerns, although we had a guest um, host for We Have Concerns while I was uh, becoming a father as well. So I think the next few episodes won't have me, but lots of episodes there. You can go to wehaveconcerns.com for that. I'm going to just plug my YouTube channel this week, youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. Uh, I just crossed 2 million views this week, uh, so nice. pretty happy with that. Thanks for everyone who is listening who has given me a view. I re- really appreciate it. And uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky if you have a chance. Um, find my other work at DaveChen.me. Uh, next week, we're going to be reviewing Blair Witch, the sequel to The Blair Witch Project. And hopefully the uh, whole gang will be back together for that episode. So look forward to that. Find more episodes of our podcast, SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com with your thoughts on uh, Sully or uh, your Slash Film Court dilemmas. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. We watch the-